colleges and universities that need to engage with students who are looking for a school to attend. Um, it wasn't a direct cause of the pandemic, but the pandemic certainly highlighted through isolation that there's a greater need for digital engagement for schools to have. And uh, because of that, um, Mongoose worked with Higher Ed Dive to develop a survey, which we received feedback from 150 higher ed leaders um, talking about their 2020 admissions outlook. That survey we are going to drop inside the chat. You may have gotten it when you registered and um, opened it up. But just in case you don't have it in front of you, Lexi is downloading, um, has the download link in our chat right there. So you can have that open to reference during today's discussion. Um, Mike, why are we doing today's episode? Yeah, well, we're very fortunate to have two uh, folks who are mentioned in the article. Yes. Uh, Amy Kilpatrick from Mongoose and Cassie Cunningham from the University of Akron. Do you know the mascot? Uh, Zips. Very wicked. Okay. Well done. That was an easy one. Yeah. It's sort of a trick question. It's also a kangaroo, but that's another story. So, uh, but anyway, we're very excited to have both of them here today. So, uh, probably better for them to introduce themselves and, uh, why they're here than for us to prattle on. All right. Casey, um, why don't you, um, introduce yourself, uh, as Casey's camera's on and, uh, tell us about yourself. All right. Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Cassie Cunningham. I serve as the Assistant Director of Admission at the University of Akron in Akron, Ohio. Um, I'm excited to be here today um, and talk a little bit about the report that um, Mongoose included me on. I serve also as the Mongoose and chat uh, kind of guru in our office. So um, we're, I'm kind of that project manager that stays in touch with my um, client success person on the um, cadence side. And then I also work with the chat side um, to, you know, create our playbooks and stay up to date on what um, is being deployed to our students on our website. So um, I kind of wear two hats in our office. Thank you, Cassie. I said Cassie 700 times to myself today to make sure I didn't. And then I said Casey for no reason. So obviously her name is Cassie. I apologize for that. Um, Amy, why don't you tell us something about yourself today? <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Gerg. Um, <laughs> I am Amy Kilpatrick. Um, I am on the product team here at Mongoose. Um, so I get the pleasure of spending my days thinking about how best to solve problems for our friends in higher ed um, through our tools. Um, and prior to my time here at Mongoose, um, I spent a lot of time in the marketing and advertising sector helping um, clients with their digital engagement. So um, get to get to think about that a little bit as we talk about um, this report today, but excited to be here with all of you. Awesome. Well, let's dive yes. in yeah, to some questions, Mike. Well, actually, let's talk about the report. Very okay, okay so yeah, let's... Uh, for the folks who uh, I'd recommend downloading it and taking a look, but a few key findings. So first of all, uh, of the 150 higher ed executives, almost all of them expect um, to upgrade their digital outreach, I believe it was 90%. 90%, 90 yes, yeah. Uh, which we'll talk about in the questions in a moment. Um, there are still multiple barriers that exist in procuring digital tools for communicating and building relationships, which we'll also dig into. And uh, current CRMs, ERPs, uh, SIS, IS systems uh, make it challenging to get the data users need to effectively communicate and build relationships with students. At least that's what our uh, survey folks said. Data is king. Data is king. And the total cost of ownership is the most important factor for evaluating technologies. That should not surprise anyone in our audience. Absolutely. Today. And schools are, uh, with all that said, are still investing. Um, like we said, that 90%. So yeah, jumping into the questions. Uh, right off the bat, 90% of uh, 
respondents said that the pandemic impacted their move towards uh, more digital solutions. That's a big number. Um, I mean, Amy, I guess to lead off, any thoughts? Does that seem accurate? That's a, I mean, 90% is a giant number. It is a giant number. No, definitely not surprised by that. Um, and uh, I think there's a couple things that come to mind for me. You know, first was kind of the initial like desperation after the pandemic started to get in touch and stay in touch with people um and and all of the um you know all of the moves that that inspired in and of itself but then it was just this massive acceleration in in digital um after that so you know the way that people are used to interacting the way they're used to getting things done everything changed uh you know it's all online it's it's on people's time um, in the method and channel that they choose. Uh, and it really has to be easy. And I think, you know, one of the things that we probably joke about in terms of the pandemic is how it's it's made a lot of people a little bit more hesitant to be social. And that's true. And we have to deal with that, right? Sometimes they they want to be able to get things done without having to interact with a human. Um, and, and so we have to be there to, to accommodate that. But uh, not surprised, I, I think... Um, you know, COVID years were obviously transformative for everyone, but I think it's interesting to think about our prospective students, especially that these were their formative years in COVID. This is what they're used to. This is all they know. Cassie, I, uh, I would I would think that you would agree with that, but um, do you see that as the same perspective coming from Akron? Yeah, absolutely. We were really fortunate to start our contract prior to the pandemic. So it was a few months before, um, and it was something that we knew we needed to prioritize for a lot of other reasons. And so we created our contract kind of at the beginning of 2020, and then it hit. And then we realized, wow, I'm so glad we did that when we did, because now we can get in touch with students. So um, over probably the last like year to two years, um, with our staff adjusting to being able to utilize Cadence. Um, and then within the last year, we added a chat feature to um, our you know, virtual offerings, I guess you could call it. Um, a lot of our staff are still navigating, you know, best practices and working with our client success and support team uh, to determine what those best practices are. But we've seen, you know, a world of difference just in communicating and connecting with students. Um, and kind of to Amy's point, we have students that, you know, need things right away. So we've all almost set that precedent that by reaching out to the Office of Admission at the University of Akron, you're going to get a quick response and we're going to be able to help you very fast. Um, other kind of virtual uh, components that we've included is, um, you know, our virtual sessions, for example, being able to do something like this. I feel like maybe um, three or four years ago, we wouldn't have even thought that all of us could have gotten together in even this setting because Zoom was, yes, around, but not really something that we all used a lot, maybe we'd see half or even a fourth of what we see today in this session even. Um, so being able to utilize those types of platforms has been immensely helpful. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with Amy. And um, I think that everyone else on the call can also agree with, you know, why people, 90% of those people said yes. <laughs> Yeah, as a former recruiter myself, uh, you know, when I recruited, I'd always have these, uh, you know, stories of students that I really I thoroughly enjoyed working with. Like, do you have any of those that you sort of encountered through chat or through, um, through texting kind of because of the medium? 
Yeah, so at the University of Akron, after a student's admitted, um, I mean, I do have touch points before that, but um, once a student is admitted, I try to text them that day or within that week to say, hey, congrats, I'd love to be the first person to, you know, welcome you to the Zips family. And I have this virtual business card that I made on Canva, and it has all my contact information, and it includes a photo of me um, in, in the message. So like I said, it's just a virtual business card, and I've had students that recognize me from the photo of me and Zippy, our mascot, um, you know, at visit days, or I have students that come up to me at a college fair and say, hey, you were the person that texted me and I recognize you from that photo. And then as I keep continuing to reach out to them, you know, bi-weekly until they enroll and then up until they enroll bi-weekly until they get started on campus. Um, this time of year, we've, we've started class about, it's, we're in our second week and these students are still somewhat connected to me because that's the first person that they met. So, you know, I have a lot of students that, you know, I don't always get the chance to meet all of them in person because I have a very large caseload. So for those students that, you know, stop by my office the first week and say, hey, just wanted to say thanks so much for, you know, everything you did or um, a week before I always text them and say, hey, how are you feeling about the first week? Um, send me a GIF or a meme or something like that with how you're feeling. Um, a lot of people come back and say, you know, I don't think that I would have been able to do this without you. And I think that that is the response that we all are looking for when we reach out to students is for a student to say that to you and say, I don't think that I would have been able to get here without you. And then to me, that really clicks and it means that I did something meaningful. Digital is a bridge. And just like we always say, using your tools in conjunction um, help make those tools more effective. Like for instance, she's using text with email in conjunction for nudges and stuff like that. Digital is a bridge to actual human engagement, which um, still does exist for now. I guess. Don't be afraid to populate with questions as we go here. I know I repeat myself a lot, um, but I just want to make sure the folks that have just joined us know that this is an open conversation. If you have questions for Cassie or Amy or Mike or myself, um, please make sure that uh, you make it known. And Lexi's going to be reading those in a little bit. Very good. So uh, speaking of Amy, uh, also in the survey, we talked about um, frankly, budgets, uh, setbacks, and institutions trying to move to one-size-fits-all solutions. Um, in working with several institutions now, what other additional strains have you seen when it comes to technology and engagement, um, you know, from one size fits all tools or just in general from the, uh, the tools that institutions have before they work with um, a system like Cadence or, uh, you know, chat system? Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, I, I think it, it is fair to say that belts are continuing to get tighter and tighter for for most institutions. Um, and and I think what I have seen a lot too with with my clients is that they have to advocate really strongly for their departments to get what they need. Um, and that takes time and that takes effort uh, and that takes data. Um, in order to make those arguments and 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 get those things that they need, um, and, and that's that's tough to do um, given the current environment. Um, so that's definitely something that I have experienced um, through my clients. Uh, but I've also talked quite a bit with them about just kind of barriers to adopting new tools. Um, you know, not only are our budgets tight, but timelines are really tight too. And, and sometimes there's not a lot of staff hours to do things. So, you know, when you're, when you're understaffed, when you're a bit overwhelmed, um, taking that risk and trying a new tool or trying a new channel, uh, not a lot of people have the appetite for that. They just kind of want to stick with, with what's working. Um, so I think, you know, what that really means to me is that, um, you know, new tools that folks use, 
um, need to be easy. The support really has to be kind of top notch and, and they have to feel confident going into it that, that it's going to provide value and they're going to be able to show it. Yeah, it's about getting buy-in and uh, proving ROI. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit. Right. I want to uh, yes. ask Cassie a question um, because another part of getting buy-in is recognizing what the issues are. So um, how could you enact change on your campus or help your team if you're not sure where the problems are? So let's talk about um, a, a website, uh, the window uh, to your institution that um, students and prospective students find. Um, Cassie, talk about that. How do you find the cracks in um, the journey for a student from your website? Like, what are the, some of the things you can do to make sure that um, uh, the, the channels and the website that you have to reach out to students are uh, effective? Yeah, this is a great question because I think we as higher ed professionals, we work at our institution. I know how to navigate the University of Akron's website like to a T. And then when a student calls me and they're like, how do I get to this this spot? Um, I'm like, well, duh, it's like these three <laughs> paths. Like, you know, it, it's on our website, the first thing, and then you go like to one more page. Um, but then you're so humbled when you go to another school's website and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing here. So um, I think that a lot of the times we include a lot of our current students in like little focus groups in terms when it comes to our website where we you know might ask them hey can you get to this page show me how you would get there and then watch to see what they're doing since it's kind of hard to get yourself in that perspective of a current student to try to find things on your website when you already know all the shorthands so we often use a lot of our current students. We also have, you know, some new first year students that work in our office. Um, so I use them often for like a little focus group when I'm trying to, you know, try new things with new students. Um, but utilizing your resources that you have in your office is great. Um, and depending on your relationship with your university communications and marketing team, um, sometimes those folks can do that back end research for you looking at keywords on your website, um, depending on maybe other things that live on your website, like maybe a chat bot or something like that, that can also help identify, you know, locations and websites that students are having trouble finding or information on the website. I would say that's going to be the biggest thing that we've used is um, the analytics that we get back from the chat bot that lives on our website is um, figuring out what our students are looking for and why they can't find it anywhere other than our chat bot. And then using that data to help be a little bit more forward facing with that information. So, um, hopefully our students don't need to come to that chat bot to find it, that it's somewhere on that website very obviously um, to be able to do that. So if you have a good relationship with your marketing team, um, they, they might be able to help you with that too, if they aren't already. Do you find that the student struggles come from not knowing the terminology or maybe not knowing what area campus owns this particular thing? Like what causes that? That's a good question. I think yeah, I think that a lot of things that you mentioned can contribute to that. I work primarily with first generation college students. Um, so for them, everything is new that they don't know the difference between admissions and advising. They've reached out to me and said, oh, I've, you know, got to, you know, to our shared inbox and say it says, well, my advisor um, you know, told me I need to schedule classes. Okay, who's your advisor? And then they tell me my name. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> no, I'm not your academic advisor, but I can totally see why you might think that um, I am. So you know, just the terminology in general, depending on your, your student population and the students that you serve, they might not know the difference between, you know, those main categories to even start. Um, and then not all websites look the same. So like I said, you might go to one school's website, figure out, you know, where things are, but another school might call something completely different, you know, it where maybe an academic advisor is called, um, you know, a uh, 
academic coach or something like that. So I think the inconsistencies sometimes in higher ed across institutions can cause a lot of confusion for students, even if they aren't first gen. We had a client, um, I think his name was Mike. He might even be in our audience today. I don't remember, but he, he had a really, um, I think, interesting phrase. Uh, there were, they were getting reached out on their website by parents and students because it's like, oh, I'm looking for this. And the staff members on, his, uh, on this gentleman's team were like, well, they're using the wrong word. And he's like, no, we're using the wrong, like if they're looking for something on our website, they can't find, we're using the wrong word. We need to be using the word that they're using. So um, I just thought that was an anecdote I would add to that. Yeah, it's a great call. Um, going back into the survey, there were four areas in particular where the um, higher ed executives called out new investments. So they mentioned websites, 43%, uh, 41% for social media, 40% for student engagement software, 40% for email. Um, AIM, I think in particular, is probably stronger for you because, again, you're seeing this more on the client side at a macro level. Um, do you find that that's true? And um, do you think those percentages break out, that they're actually the highest? Yeah, I mean, those are those four are pretty close together um, and, and pretty high there. Um, I'm not sure what I would have expected to see, um, but I, I think that different institutions are taking different approaches um, to, to their digital presence um, and, and, and filling in gaps or kind of going in different directions. You know, I, I think we see a lot of schools that are kind of trying to move towards more of one size fits all solutions. Some are plugging in with new channels that they know they're not really present in yet. Um, and some are really focused on kind of improving the quality of existing channels that they're in. Um, so I think that is probably representative here and, and a bit of a mixed bag, but I was really pleased to see website there at the top, even by a little bit, because um, I think it does tend to be a bit of an afterthought um, for schools. And I, I would guess that part of the reason is that it's a lot of times just kind of a black box. You don't know what's going on there. Either you don't have the metrics or you don't have the metrics at your fingertips. Um, but, you know, studies show over and over again, it's so critical to, to prospective students, but, but even current students and donors, they're going there too. They're looking for information. Um, web is, is definitely not going anywhere. So I'm pleased to see that people want to put some attention there. Um, obviously, you know, student engagement software, uh, I love the recognition that that is a category, that that's a need. There's an art to engagement, um, and I hope it represents kind of an understanding among higher ed leadership um, that will help to, uh, departments get the tools that they need in that area, too. Um, I guess social and email, I don't know, I'm, I feel a little mixed about those two being there. I hope, I hope if people are putting a lot of um, time into social that they're focusing on video. Um, and with email, um, you know, I think it's still relevant for students, but maybe, maybe this represents that people are focusing more on parents, uh, which would not be a bad thing. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully not leaning in too much on email, because I think they would be missing, missing some key channels if they did that. Use them in conjunction. And if student yeah. engagement is an art form, does that make you, Amy, an artist? Oh, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> our clients are artists. <laughs> we, just, up with the we give them brushes. I don't know. Oh, I like that. That's our new tagline for our website. Uh, Cassie, I want to ask you the same question. Um, not only like, does this look like something you would expect, but also a wish list? Like, um, if these are the things your schools are investing in, does that like sound good to you, I guess? Yeah, I think the email being that 40%, yeah. I, 
it's even with the student engagement software, but it is a little still surprising that, that it's still at that 40%, that it still has relatively same market share as the other categories, just because, um, you know, I've seen student inboxes and I think it's so hard <laughs> to break through the noise um, through it. How can I make my email, you know, campaigns more unique compared to the other 35 emails that a student gets in an hour even. Um, and there's a lot of other platforms and services and vendors that, you know, will say that by investing in them, they're going to be able to help you break through that. But um, I, I just find that students in this generation, you know, Z area, I just don't know how often they're checking emails. And I'm not sure if that's still the best way to reach them. I don't think that we can sit by and not invest in those uh, channels. Um, I, I certainly think that you still have to, but um, yeah, I mean, I, on my personal email, yeah, my work email, I'm checking all the time every single day. But my personal email, I go like, you know, hours, I go a few days without checking that. So um, I can only imagine what a 17, 18 year old's inbox looks like. I mean, they leave thousands of text messages in their iMessage, you know, thing on their home screen. Like I've seen some of those people where I'm like, how can you even think when you have, you know, 5,000 unread text messages, much less, you know, the um, mail bubble that has, you know, thousands there. So um, I I'm really looking forward to seeing in, in the next few years, whether email still has that market share and what we're investing in that. Um, and how things are going to switch around in the next few years. Bunch of special offers on avocado toast. There you go. Sitting in the inbox. Do you think it's driven by parental engagement maybe? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I still find that reaching out to students, families, um, we often call them supporters since mm -hmm. we don't always know, you know, where they're coming from, um, that those folks are better at you know, connecting by email. Um, I often do a few times a, a cycle, you know, in the fall and spring, I'll do a welcome email from, from myself. Um, we do a lot of automated emails, but um, I still rely a lot on mail merge just due to, you know, a variety of Gmail promotion issues, junk folders, things like that. I just want to make sure that um, my messages are going to the right places. So I do a lot of mail merge messages to um, any you know, second party person that we have that we've collected through the applications. And, um, you know, I might send an email to 5,000 students and I get like, you know, 10 responses. And I'm like, okay, I think I did pretty well on that because that was more than I thought. But then when I email those, that second group of people, maybe the, the family or supporters or a school counselor that's, you know, helping the student through it, I, you know, then I'm like looking at maybe a 25% response rate. So yeah, certainly those people are definitely checking. You're an institution that's nervous about, your website, your digital presence, what do you do to measure uh, the effectiveness? So Cassie, you mentioned talking to current students. Um, any other suggestions you'd recommend? Um, I think, I mean, I, I love working with our students because they're the most tuned in. Um, as much as I wish that I wasn't, I'm moving further and further away from being a college-aged student. <laughs> and I wish that I wasn't. But, um, you know, we have a, a campus size of, you know, 16,000 students on, on campus that are kind of the world is their oyster that I can utilize. So um, yeah, I, I love to interact with our current students, whether they work on our, on our campus, in our office, or um, we're able to find a, a focus group of maybe out-of-state students to figure out what best way to engage with those students. Um, and then we, we often work with faculty too sometimes because they also are parents of students um, going through that process. And now we're getting to the point where some of my colleagues um, have kids that are old enough to go to college. So um, yeah, utilizing them as you know families and parents and um, supporters and getting kind of an inside view on 
what their needs are and how they've shifted um, as a parent or a family member of a prospective student versus an administrator in that position. Some of their priorities seem to shift. How do you separate that messaging? Do you, or do you just try and keep it all encompassing? Like when you're targeting, you know, sometimes when you're talking to a student, you're actually talking to a parent. Yeah. So um, talk about your strategy a little bit about that. I know it's not the subject matter, but like we go everywhere. Yeah, so we do. Um, what, yeah. do what do you think? I think that there's some things that uh, families care a little bit more about than students. Like I think students really like the campus life experience. They want to know about um, what types of ways to get involved. Maybe they want to know about athletics. They might want to know about, you know, job placement outcomes. I know a lot of students are more focused this time around on how can I get out of um, school with the least amount of debt, things like that. Um, so focusing on those key areas, I think are really important. But when we talk to families, they might be a little bit more concerned on yes, job placement, graduation rates, things like that. But they also want to make sure that their money is going to be well spent if they're assisting with it. So focusing on financial aid, there's also maybe some um, families, depending on the school location that um, safety might be a concern to their the family, but not something that, you know, the students are thinking of. So um, yeah, I think that there are certainly times and places to shift those hats and be a little bit more targeted depending on your categories. I mean, there's even some schools that target school counselor update emails, and that information is going to be totally different than what you want to share with the student. Um, but I think there has to be still some sort of streamlined message across the board that you're still, you know, sharing the same content, maybe just in, um, forward facing certain things a little bit more so than others. Awesome. So um, this, uh, Amy, did you have anything to add? I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just stepping over you. Um, I wanted to make sure because this episode's recorded, some people that are might not have access to the chat. Lexi, let's read some of those back and forth um, suggestions that have come up in the chat to make sure that um, our recorded audience sees them as well. I don't want to forget them. Yes, so lots of activity in the chat. Tiara says that high school students aren't the best at checking their emails, especially with that flood of information. Mm -hmm. Kyle echoed that they oftentimes begin with an email due to the high amount of content they're looking to share, but then follow it up with a text within the week. The text messages are definitely more effective at prompting a response. Our very own Dave Marshall has Dave been Marshall. I've heard with of a him. tip. <laughs> yeah. He's seen some schools be successful by merging in the email address into the text message. For example, we sent an email to parentheses this email address. So please check that and let us know. That way the student knows which account to check or that lets you know if the email address you have is the correct one on file. Because data is king. Data is king. That's right. Uh, so and we then, do have a question yes, from okay, Emily. They are curious, what sort of creative text messages have you all done to keep students engaged? She loved the meme idea from Cassie. Awesome. So we got a good idea from Cassie. If she had another one, um, she'd be, um, you know, more than welcome to share it here, putting Cassie on the spot. Yeah, so I found that those memes ones, to Emily's point, um, Emily, it's nice to see you as well um, on, on the call. Um, Emily is one of my colleagues from the University of Toledo. So nice to see you, Emily. Um, Yes, about two weeks ago, um, I sent a message out to, you know, gauge and get a temperature check of how students were feeling as the semester approached to figure out maybe is there any students that I need to step in and say, you know, are they at risk for melting this summer, things like that. Um, but I just said, hey, like so excited to have you on campus in two weeks, please send me like a meme, a gif or uh, an emoji or whatever you feel comfortable with um, describing how you feel. So then depending on those responses, I was kind of able to help field and that temperature where um, I felt like I needed to reply. So, you know, if a student, I had a few that sent back things like, um, uh, what was it like one of those SNL skits of 
one of the ants and it was like Kristen Wiig and she was like, oh, so I was like, well, I can tell that you're excited, but you're also a little bit nervous. And then I had some people that said, you know, um, they sent like that emoji. Um, I had some people that sent immediately like raise the roof gifts and wow. stuff. So it was just like, I kind of knew how to respond to those students. And sometimes I even got responses from students that never texted me back before, because it was so simple to just do that. I think also, if you're not using smart messages, that's a, a great way to save your staff members time and energy um, by being able to say, you know, during May, on May 1, you send out a text message saying, hey, are you still, you know, mm -hmm. interested in Mongoose University? Um, we'd love to have you join in the fall please reply yes or no. And then the only people maybe you're fielding are people that said something outside of yes or no. So that way you can quickly utilize your, your resources and say, okay, anyone who says yes, I want to send them the confirmation or the enrollment fee or the deposit link. Anyone that said no, maybe I want to ask, oh, did you make other plans? What are they? And then you can really utilize the people that, you know, respond back or something like that. So smart messages have been great. Um, I know uh, one thing that I totally understand why we can't do it, but sending links is sometimes really difficult um, because it gets flagged by those carriers. So we've found, again, kind of going back to the business card example, creating a graphic, um, whether you have someone in your office or on your team or someone in the university communications and marketing team to be able to create some nice like graphic that might be similar to something you posted on social media about maybe the application or a visit on campus or something like that, or the confirmation link. Um, to be able to put all that extra information in a graphic or an image that you attach to it, um, you get almost an extra 306 characters that you don't mm -hmm. get when you're texting. Um, so you can relay that information or put a QR code or something like that. So um, those are the big things that we've found have been really helpful is to utilize the smart messages and um, also utilize, um, you know, using an external um, Canva or something like that to create a graphic for your images to share more information. That's it. Just a laundry list of really great ideas. <laughs> yes. just, you know. Do you approach texting traditional students differently than how you would approach uh, non-traditional, i.e. adults and online students? Hmm. I definitely know time of day can matter a lot when you know, uh, texting non-traditional students, but um, if Amy or Cassie had anything to add to this, um, take it away. So at the University of Akron, I just specifically work with traditional first-year students, so students who are coming right out of high school in the last two graduation cycles. So I don't have any experience with adult or online or transfer students. Um, we actually have another department that works with them, but um, they do utilize texting services. And I would say that they are a lot more blunt and maybe not as flowery sometimes because adult students might, um, you know, not care about all of those types of things. They just want to know, how can I get in? How can I get out? When is orientation? When are all these things? Um, with transfer students, their main concern is, will my classes transfer? Yes or no. If it's a no, I'm going to look somewhere else. Um, so I think that sometimes you have to be a little, you can be a little bit more, you know, point blank with those students. But also, yeah, you get text messages a lot later at night from them. But I also wake up, you know, with 15 text messages in the next morning from students that, you know, from high school that think it's okay to text me at 1230 at night too. So I'm sure we all have seen that as well. I want to get Amy back in the conversation and also uh, go back and reference the survey um, that we had posted uh, a link for you to download and kind of base the episode off of. Um, so um, just to get Amy back into it, one of the frustrations that was mentioned in the survey could be problems with uh, CRMs. And, um, you know, that's been mentioned before. Um, sometimes certain platforms and systems don't play well with the CRMs. Uh, Amy, what advice do you have for institutions that have that same problem in terms of like, 
getting additional bolt-on servicers um, to make everyone play nicely, I guess, in the sandbox. Yeah, definitely. So I think, you know, CRMs are, are certainly trying to extend their capabilities and um, and that's really wonderful for a lot of institutions that that are, are trying to, to do the same. Um, I think it's, you know, some of our clients have certainly seen um, that they really need to focus on what the CRMs are are, are best at. Um, and, you know, that is, of course, it's the data management. Um, so taking advantage of all the services that your CRMs have to offer in terms of data management, cleanup, data analysis, reporting, like absolutely go for it. Um, you know, that is that is what they're great at. You know, we've talked a little bit about email. Um, to me, that makes a lot of sense as well in relation to your CRMs, because that's where that data is stored um, and, and kind of allows you to take the most advantage of those segmentations and stuff of your data. Um, but I think where where some of our clients have seen those CRMs fall short is, is in the relationship building aspect and, um, you know, building those, those personal connections. It's just so nuanced um, that, you know, they've, they may have uh, tried some of those services and, and ended up feeling like they needed uh, a little, a little shot in the arm <laughs> um, with, with what those tools offer. So um, that's, that's definitely been our experience um, that, that I would share in relation to the CRMs. So Mike, you recognize a need for new tools. Mm -hmm. um, you get the proper um, showing of ROI to convince the stakeholders that make decisions that we need this new tool. Mm -hmm. We're gonna institute this new tool. We go through everything. We have this new tool to use. Um, there's a lot of excitement in that new tool. Mm -hmm. So I wanna ask what kind of um, guardrails you have to put in place to make sure that it gets used properly, that any new medium created, whether it be email, text, chat, whatever, um, is not burned or is used properly. Um, Cassie, what do you think? You get a new tool in your office, you would mention you just got something new right before um, COVID had hit and your school had to experience that. And I guess almost thrown to the fire by it, considering the circumstances that, um, that went down. So tell us about your experience about adding the new tool. Yeah, I think that to your point, you get this new thing and you want to just use it all the time because I paid this money for it. I want to use it all the time. I'm excited to get started with it. Um, but to the other point, it's really easy to burn out those students, especially on text messaging. You have to be respectful to how often you're reaching out to students, the frequency, what's the purpose of messaging. You don't want to just send a text message to a student to send them a text message, whereas maybe some could argue you could send an email to send an email because it's not as invasive. Um, but I would say at the University of Akron, we have a shared Outlook calendar that we found very helpful where um, all of our team has access to it. So that includes our um, email campaign people in the marketing department, it includes me who does the like, you know, main text messaging for our office. Um, we also include our data team and our CRM folks who schedule like the emails and stuff like that. So lots of different people are on this. And every time we schedule, um, you know, an email message or, you know, a call campaign or something like that. We're putting it on this shared Outlook calendar. So we're aware of each of our kind of mini teams responsibilities for those emails and calls and text messages and whatever else that we're working on so that we can be, you know, tactful and strategic with the ways that we're connecting with students. But we're also aware that, you know, if we're sending a text message to a student about um, confirming their enrollment, you know, reserving their seat in our fall class, we should probably be aware that something's going out that morning. Maybe we should not 
send it that day and maybe look at something else. Or then we can look also at the frequency of how often we're reaching out to those students. I try not to reach out to students more than once a week unless they initiate contact in some sort of mass messaging. Um, personally, for me, I find that biweekly outreach to my admitted students and my matriculated students is best. Um, but sometimes I need to shift that if our entire office is doing some sort of big outreach. So um, I also, if we have a large outreach by text message, I send that to all of our admissions officers to say, just so you know, this is the message I'm sending. This is the segment of students. So if you are going to reach out to a similar segment, please omit these students or please consider outreaching to a different segment. Maybe we're outreaching to admitted students. Maybe you could reach out to your students that have not finished the application this week if you're trying to find a group of students to connect with. Um, so I think cross-referencing these tools um, and staying in communication with your team as to what different initiatives you're working on is the best way to not overwhelm students with too much communication in a given day or even a given time frame. It's about knowing your audience. I mean, some non-traditional students, as Nicole had brought it up earlier, they want more text and more email reminders just because their lives are a little busy. But for some students, the ninth time they get that Kristen right. Wig gif, they're going to be sick of it. So make sure you have a plan. Very good. Cass, you mentioned collaborating inside your team. Um, how do you do that? Do you use a tool like Slack or Teams? Do you use email, a calendar? Like, how do you actually collaborate internally? So we do have that calendar where we don't actually meet it all over it. We just add things to the calendar and all of us are kind of have that responsibility to check and um, be aware of the other things that are on the calendar. And if anything comes up, you know, we can reach out, but um, we primarily work on teams. We also uh, recently switched our phone systems about a year ago to teams. So it's really all inclusive where we are able to connect with each other, but also all of our incoming and outgoing calls come through that way. So, um, you know, some people have it on their phones when they're traveling. Like I often have downloaded it at that time, but I don't always have notifications on to have that separate work-life balance. But um, yeah, Teams has been amazing to be able to easily meet with um, each other, either by a phone call or video call, um, put meetings on the calendar. Our entire um, university is on this system now. So we can reach out to anyone, not just in our office, but anyone in our faculty, staff, and our students, and our graduate students, and you know all of those people. So um, we found that that has been super effective. And then we also um, create channels in Microsoft Teams about marketing and communication and things like that, so that we have uh, you know a separate space other than the chat function itself to to connect. And then of course we have our CRM where um, all of that information and data lives too. Because data is king, right? There's some love for Teams happening in the chat. Mike, should we get? Some questions. I think we should chat. talk about chat. Yeah, there's a lot of activity. Lexi, what uh, what have you seen in terms of questions? Yeah, so earlier when we were talking about some of the features, uh, texting, um, University of Toledo said they love smart messages. Kyle also said that they love the auto reply feature as it allows us to provide a registration link in the follow up message after the reply. Dot, 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 the initial message. We'd so be willing to give anyone information on any of these features we're talking about, as mm -hmm. Cadence does, mm -hmm. um, exist here in the Mongoose thing. So if you want information, don't feel free to reach out to us. Yeah, and so Kyle's comment is a great segue to Elizabeth's question regarding sending mm -hmm. links. They want to know, is there a, ever a way that it works where they're not flagged by the carriers? So the carriers are stricter than ever. Um, so you do have to be careful. I have found if you want to know the conditions for them most likely to work, uh, it's the smallest audience as possible, which I know is difficult because ideally I think that means each person individually, but 
Sometimes you have to scale. I can't give you an exact number and say, when you hit 499 people, that's when the carriers say, nope, no more. I, there's, there's no like published number like that out there. I don't think there ever will be, but um, I would keep it to the smallest audience as possible. I would absolutely personalize your message. And then I would use the full URL, never a bit.ly or any type of shortened link um, because those are much more likely to get flagged. I would also avoid any type of promotional looking language. So mm -hmm. there was an institution I worked with in annual giving last year for a giving day. They wanted to text all the donors uh, during their day of giving that if they gave before like 12 PM, um, you know, they get 20% off the bookstore, which is an amazing deal. And I love the promotion, but um, they wanted to text. And I was like, no, please don't do that because it will absolutely get flagged and blocked and you'll have problems the rest of the day. Um, so anything that is sending people a code or, you know, redemption codes or using, you know, free application, anything like that, don't do that via text. That's probably better via email, but uh, it can happen. I mean, you can send uh, links. It has happened before. Um, the carriers don't always block them, but be careful. Uh, and if you are going to do it, like I said, small audiences, personalization, and full URL. And also, you can set up a mass text to a large segment and ask if they want a link, like mm. want more information. And then when you're just emailing that person individually who responded to you, send the link in that. Yeah. Always use text to set up email. Hey, I just sent you an email with a link to this thing that you were interested in or might be interested in. And the email has links. So Cassie, email not going away yet. You can still use text <laughs> yeah. to get them to take out their phones and use their emails as well. Cassie, any thoughts from uh, from the institution side on that? Do you think that's pretty fair advice? Yeah, definitely. I think to my earlier point, the graphics, if you have access to make them, that those have you know been a world of difference. We also have a really great relationship with our communications team. So it's pretty easy for me to just reach out to them and maybe I want to push them to a link um, that's like uacron.edu slash like a bunch of letters or something like that or nice. a string that's like, you know, this long. And I'm like, I don't know how to include that even in a short text message um, to a student because now um, like you know, 75% of my characters are eaten up with this link. So they've been gracious and able to, um, if I send them the link and say, hey, I want to send this link, they'll say, they'll change the shorthand link to uacron.edu slash like what to bring. Like maybe I was trying to share that link with students about what to and not to bring for move-in. They've been able to shorten that link to something easier so I can put in the graphic uacron.edu slash move-in or something like that. Um, so that's been really helpful. But again, I, I typically do not ever send any messages in a mass format um, with a link. I do it one-on-one -on -one with students. Um, and I'm not sure, maybe Greg and Mike can confirm. I've done this before, but I don't know if I was allowed to um, in terms of carrier restrictions, but we have used smart messages in the past to encourage participation in like a, a group visit event, for example, to say, hey, we're hosting this fall visit day. Um, would you like to register to attend? If they say yes, then it sends them to the registration link and I send that to them. And if no, it says, oh, like, um, sorry, you can't attend. We hope to see you on campus again. I don't know if that's considered mass text messaging because it would be in response to an initiated message, but we've done that before on like a, a handful of occasions. How dare you? <laughs> no, no, that the FCC is circling the university <laughs> you know, back. They're, right they're coming to Ohio. That is once you have engagement, yeah. a link is not going to be flagged as much. It's when you're um, first outreach to a mass group of people. That's when you're at most danger of the blockage. Exactly. Well, let's talk about chatting, Mike. Like, yes. Um, uh, we have Amy here. She's an expert on the platform. Yeah. I believe we have a question for Amy on chatting. So over half the respondents said that they would pursue web 
uh, web chat or chatbots in uh, 22. So what do you think are the best use cases for, uh, for using chatbots and, uh, and using live chat? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, all higher ed audiences use the website. <laughs> um, everybody wants better service. Um, everybody expects uh, really awesome digital experiences. Um, but everybody is probably not the answer that you're looking for from me. Um, <laughs> so uh, if I had to pick, um, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, for our prospective student audiences, um, one of the great use cases for chat and chatbots is, is identifying the stealth prospective students. You know, we talked about the website being kind of a black box and it's a black box in terms of, you know, what's going on there, but it's also a black box in, in terms of who is visiting. And so you, you no doubt have a lot of prospective students who are there on your website and they never say anything. <laughs> they never raise their hand. Um, and so if you can greet them with the chat bot and start that conversation, put them at ease, maybe capture a little bit of their info through the bot. Um, that is that is absolutely huge, just starting um, that connection. Um, but I think the other one that comes to mind for me is, is your current students. You know, we, I think a, a lot of schools are really struggling to make those connections with their students and make sure they know about the resources and services that are available to them. Um, and they're on your website too. They're, they're looking around for things. They're confused sometimes too about where they should go. Um, and so having a, a chat bot there to direct them around, to get them connected, um, to show them that you care, um, I think is another really, really key spot that, that chat can help. And Casey, Cassie, we say this a lot. Amy says this a lot. Um, and um, I want to know if you agree with it. Um, colleges often aren't competing against just other colleges for prospective students or even, you know, um, just their list of tests. Um, students are used to the experiences they get from every brand that they interact with. And your school has to keep up with that. That's pretty daunting. Um, would you not agree with any tool that you use? For sure. Yeah. I know that um, one big reason we moved to offering a chat system on our website was because a lot of brands have them on their website. So how is, does that make, you know, a college experience different where if you went to, um, you know, Ulta's website and you wanted to order, you know, the new makeup stuff, you know, you could chat with someone, whether it's live or an automated person, you could chat with them and try to figure out how to order something. Or if you're having a complaint about a product you purchased on Nike's website or something like that, you can go and have that conversation. And often I will opt for the those options. Like I had an issue when I traveled, um, in a holiday Inn. well, I didn't want to call anyone because I was busy and I didn't want to, you know, talk on the phone. So I was able to multitask and make that complaint through a chat bot and it was able to get resolved. So because I can have that user experience as a consumer for a variety of other platforms, why wouldn't I be able to have that at a college level? So, um, I think the time frame also is helpful where, I'm at work all day. So being able to, you know, get home at six and still be able to talk to someone on a chat bot is so nice. Um, whereas obviously that's not, you aren't going to have that one-to-one -one interaction after hours for our bot. Um, you can still get your basic questions answered through it. So you kind of have that 365 day, 24 hour a day assistance for basic questions. Um, so that's been really helpful for students. I would say the other big market for having this is international students, although I don't work directly with them. There's international students that may, for example, kind of to diversity, equity, and inclusion aspects, um, 
international students might not have um, feel comfortable or confident in their um, English speaking, where they still have to, you know, pass the TOEFL tests and, you know, be fluent, they might not feel confident in their ability to speak English, or maybe their hours are shifted. So they can't always get in touch with someone in um, the office because their hours are significantly different where they would have to wake up early to reach out to us. Um, or maybe they can translate our website into their native language and review that information and have the chat through their native language. So I think that that is, uh, you know, an interesting component when you're thinking about a chatbot is, you know, serving international students, also serving adult and transfer students who to someone else's point in the chat where they're not always reaching out to you during conventional hours, during work hours, because they're working, especially our adult students or the students that want to take online classes. So being a little bit more accessible um, is a great way um, that that's a, a, a reason I would say that we looked into, you know, utilizing that chatbot, but also Gen Z wants an answer right now. <laughs> um, so being able to answer some of those basic questions, like what's the FAFSA code? You know, you don't really necessarily need to ask me that, but it might be hard to find on the website. So I want to be able to offer that to you right off the bat. And then you can go about your day and you don't have to wait for me until the next business day to get back to you or something like that. So um, hope that answers that question. I, I, love the, I love the thorough, perfect answer. I hope that was okay. I hope it was okay that I knocked the answer out of the park. What's the name of the company? What was it? You, you, you're there? Is it a makeup company? Was that it? Alta. Alta? What's yes. Alta? It's a makeup company? Yes. Okay. I don't know. Kids in your makeup. Uh, the key takeaways that everyone came here for from our guest, right? Yes. All right. So, so Amy, yeah, why don't we start uh, with your thoughts? Like what, if uh, folks who are watching, if you want them to leave with like three thoughts, what would those be? This is the lasting impression they'll have of you, Amy. So <laughs> don't blow it. Well, no pressure. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, just thinking back to the report, I, it's clear that higher ed institutions understand the shift that's taken place um, in digital expectations, which is great. That's the first step. We understand how important it is to engage um, in our digital spaces. Um, but, you know, getting those tools is, is not always easy. Um, I think our, our higher ed partners need to have informed data-driven conversations about the tools that they need. And uh, so, you know, a takeaway for me is uh, that as a partner, we need to help our clients have those conversations and, and, and other vendors should be doing that as well. Um, but I think what I would encourage folks is, you know, if you want to make some of these moves is focus on incremental improvements. I think it can get overwhelming really, really quickly. And, um, there, there is no keeping up. There is no catching up. Um, it's just continuing to provide better and better service um, every day. So find find that low-hanging fruit. Um, find good support from tools out there, best practices, um, and and try to try to make it as easy as possible. Take the pressure off. We're we're all here to to do the best we can for for our students. So. Yeah, I hope I hope we've helped um, the the four of us here. And if we haven't, and you have additional questions, you can always reach out to us. Um, Cassie, what about you? What if someone was watching today and you wanted to make sure that they left with some important information? What would it be? Yeah, so obviously you're already on. The, the cadence platform. So I don't have to, you know, put on a salesperson hat and tell you that you need to buy it um, because everyone's already utilizing that. Right. So I think that that's the first move and that's the, the right direction that you're already in is you're, you have prioritized um, that digital engagement with students through at least a texting feature and that you're, you're doing that good work and outreaching to students. And I think um, these platforms and these experiences here, what we're doing today is a great way to idea share and figure out what those best practices are and, you know, staying in touch with each other and sharing the things that 
that work really well is something that um, I'm really glad that you've given us the chance to do throughout these FYI sessions. Um, but I would just still say to continue to Amy's point, advocating for yourself, if there's other things that you um, think that you need um, to, to get to support your students and support your role and the things that you're working on, um, don't be afraid to look into those those solutions that was something that I did with that chat was that wasn't something that really a ton of people weren't um, even it was on their radar but I thought that that was a need and I did my own research ahead of time I did a few different calls with a lot of vendors and I figured out what was best and I was able to share with my administration that these are the you know five options here's the pros here's the cons of all of them and here's the price points what do you think that we can do because um, I think that we really need it this platform for xyz reasons so um advocating and that's something we ask for our students all the time is to advocate for themselves so I think that you know to be able to do that for our you know ourselves as professionals is something that we might need to work on a little bit better my favorite part about this episode so far is where Cassie thanked us for allowing her to be an awesome guest seriously <laughs> yeah okay. you've been fantastic that's seriously, seriously awesome. Um, uh, uh, Cassie, just in case anyone wanted to keep in touch with you, uh, find out how everything's going in beautiful Akron, Ohio, or just share ideas on stuff, um, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you in the, um, the, the, the interwebs? Absolutely. So you can feel free to reach out to me. Um, my email address is the first letter, my first name C, and then my last name Cunningham at uacron.edu. Um, Lexi just dropped that in the chat. And then Thanks, Lexi. Um, Lexi also dropped my LinkedIn um, direct link. So if you'd like to add me, I'm happy to uh, connect that way and idea share back and forth. Um, but I also, if you're ever in Ohio, um, if you're a recruiter in Ohio, I'd love to see you in person. If you're not an OACAC member, um, that's a that's a great way to get involved in Ohio recruitment. I'm one of the um, executive board members of that. Um, and then also I travel to Illinois. So if you um, work with students or serve students on the admissions side in um, the greater Chicago area, I'd love to meet up that way too. Awesome. It's a community. Amy, anyone wants to get a hold of you that has uh, chat related or digital um, uh, engagement questions, um, how can folks find you? Yeah, same methods are good for me too. Um, we'll see if, if Lexi's got Oh, There we go. Um, there's my LinkedIn profile. And then I'm just Amy at mongooseresearch.com. So yeah, feel free to uh, send me a note. She's not just Amy. Yeah. She's, she's <laughs> awesome, Amy. Um, this was great. I'm so glad um, that you joined us. And we have another good FYI coming up in two weeks. Mike. We do. So we have Dr. Liz Gross, the founder, CEO of uh, Campus Sonar, and Diana Kilbids from Ologi. And we'll discuss how colleges can best support prospective students and their parents. So very, very exciting. It will also be, as Greg alluded, probably our first episode in the new uh, FYI space. So We're getting a new room. We are. How exciting. It's going to be full of paraphernalia from other schools. Yes. Which is pretty cool. Very exciting. Um, Mike, you did a great job today. Thank you. You too. Five out of five. Five out of five. Well, I appreciate you that. You did it. It was Ohio. How can Mike go wrong? Um, thank you to Cassie. Thank you to Amy for joining us. Thank you, everyone. Um, uh, look for our YouTube channel um, in any registration email you get from us from past episodes. Our episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mongoose Makers of Cadence, higher high speed engagement platform. Very good. All right. See you in a couple weeks. Thanks, Thanks everyone. So much for joining. Bye.